I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's conversation is with Maya Siprashvili-Lee, Deputy Commissioner of the Division of Supplier Diversity at the Indiana Department of Administration. Maya has spent her career in government leadership. She moved to the United States in 2013 from her home country of Georgia, where she served as the Deputy Minister of Defense for the country. She chose family and a career in a new environment. Her story highlights perseverance through a major life transition, not just on her own, but also with her family. She focuses on influencing challenges by changing her inner world. Take a listen. First, my uh, kudos to you for pronouncing my last name properly. Uh, so currently, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the Deputy Commissioner of the Division of Supply Diversity here at the Indiana Department of Administration. Prior to becoming the Deputy Commissioner, I was the Executive Director of the same division, basically held the same roles of certification of minority women and veteran-owned businesses, contract compliance issues, and business outreach for our small businesses to connect with the government uh, agencies for the contracting opportunities. So prior to this, within the role, I was also the um, Deputy Director of Business Development and Contract Compliance. So kind of like two roles, um, I was promoted twice before becoming the Deputy Commissioner here at the IDOA. Prior to my role at the Department of Administration, I worked for the city of Indianapolis, and I started there as a project manager. Um, and the same role, very, very similar business outreach and, again, uh, contract compliance issues for minority women, veteran and disability owned businesses within the city. I also got promoted twice and then I kind of found the niche and followed the uh, supplier diversity lane basically here at the state of Indiana as well. That's good. So give us a little bit of context into what you do every day. My everyday job is basically reviewing certification um, decisions for the applicants who want to be certified with the state of Indiana as minority women and veteran-owned businesses. And what that means is basic requirements are a minority or a woman or a veteran needs to own at least 51% of a company, and they also need to run the company. So in a situation where, for example, there is a husband and a wife owning the company, company, wife has to have at least 51% and 49% can be husband's share. However, we need to see the woman as somebody who controls and runs the business. So obviously, same requirements for minority and veterans. That's good. Well, thank you for that great service, Maya. That's, that adds a lot of value, obviously. Thank you. Thank you. We're, I always say we're in the business of certifying uh, our businesses. Of course, sometimes uh, we do not see um, kind of requirements have been met because we are governed by the laws and the rules, but we always try to help out and we always try to certify. And I tell our businesses, for us, the more the merrier. They keep us employed. So 
we need to recruit more minority women and veteran-owned businesses. So once they get certified, uh, the great benefit basically is to connect them to the uh, government contracts. And that's the challenge sometimes when you have a multi-million government contracts. Uh, and these are not particularly big businesses, but they do get the share of a pie as a subcontractor. So every five years in the state right now is in, in the middle of it, we have a disparity study. And disparity study measures uh, availability versus um, kind of using the minority and women businesses. And then what and how uh, the state of Indiana can help them to improve the participation in government contracts. So we're in the middle of this study now. And currently there are kind of percentages uh, per contract, how much uh, percentage needs to go to minority and how much needs to go to the woman business. So that's my everyday life. And then obviously there are so many contracting opportunities that I, our businesses are not really aware of. And we do business conferences, we do webinars, we do seminars. So all around the year, we travel around the state of Indiana and we take the contracting opportunities to our businesses where they are. Well, you've had a uh, you've had a few years here of promotions and different service opportunities in government, but take us back even further. So, 2013, you moved from your home country of Georgia. Tell us about that transition. That was a life changing experience. Literally, uh, my life changed. Uh, I was obviously born and raised in the country of Georgia, not the state, and. Uh, this is basically where I grew up all my life. I had a life. I had a career. Then I met my husband, who at that time, I didn't know what it meant. I still don't know what it means, the, who was a Hoosier. <laughs> <laughs> and we lived there. We met through a great program called uh, Georgia Train and Equip Program that started uh, after an unfortunate fact of 9-11 here in the United States. So the United States wanted to help um, the country of Georgia uh, to fight against terrorism. And they, they launched this big uh, program and I was initially an interpreter. And then I was kind of a liaison between the Georgian military and the US military. So we worked there, we lived there, and then um, basically my husband wanted to move back home, uh, which was Indiana. And then he settled down here, he built a house, found a job, and I ran out of excuses. <laughs> so I had to move uh, move here. We moved in January 2013. Andrea, first time my daughter, my daughter was six, my son was 13. She didn't speak any English. So uh, I had to help her with, and in my previous life, I was a teacher of English too as a, as a student. Um, and then as my first uh, job, basically, I, I taught uh, English in college. And then um, now my, my daughter was my student. So as of February 2013, she just knew, I love you and you're a monkey. <laughs> 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 and by June 2013, she was fluent. So she will tell you all those horror stories of four-hour English uh, the English classes that lasted four hours for her, but I think uh, she appreciates it now. My son was a teenager. He was 13. And, you know, right now my, my daughter has an anxiety because she's 13 now, anxiety to go from middle school to high school. So can you imagine changing the whole environment for my son and uh, bringing him in a new new country, new uh, environment, new school, new um, people, around new people. So 
that was really life changing. And my life was very fast paced. I, I had a lot to do and I kind of had to slow down and now take care of the family. So when they kind of the decision came to do I choose family or do I choose career? At that time, I, I thought that you can only have one. You can't have both because <laughs> it's a cliche, right? You either choose one or two because you can't have both. And uh, in 2019, I can tell you that, yes, you can do both. It's a process, but uh, it is at the end of the day, it is all worth it. So how were you feeling? Because you had a lot to manage. You, you had your own transition anxiety, no doubt. You also had your kids were in such different places and all of their transition anxiety. What was that like for you, Maya? How did you lead through that? So um, first, after helping them settle down, finding proper schools and obviously getting acquainted to the local um, uh, education system, my previous job was also at the Ministry of Education. I was the um, head of um, the Department for, for International Relations and Programs. So I was pretty familiar with the education sector as well, but it was a lot of discoveries. Really, mostly my biggest surprise was how decentralized uh, the school systems are here. And uh, over there, obviously, Georgia is a smaller country. It's a kind of size of a South Carolina. And all of our uh, the entire education system is very centralized. So, for example, national curriculum, you know exactly what your students um, will be taught um, in from elementary, middle, high school. And over here, all this was new because counties and the school districts were so autonomous, it was unheard of. <laughs> so I had to uh, familiar my, myself with that. And it was a lot of stress and it was a lot of research. And thankfully, I was able to do that. Um, at the same time, um, now that everyone is settled, my question was, okay, now what? Now I need to find a job. And thinking back, now it's funny, but it, at that time it was very frustrating when I would send these uh, this great resume, a three-pager or four-pager, I've done so much and I know this and I'm trilingual and everybody should be knocking on my door and of course I will get a job. I obviously thought that I wouldn't get a job of, as an undersecretary of defense here, but I thought that, hey, of course, you know, at least, uh, why not the governor? <laughs> so, but I, uh, Andrea, I, I sent 140 resumes uh, in the period of, uh, I believe, nine months, and I got zero phone calls, zero interviews, nothing. So I, I didn't know what was going on. I, I, I thought I was doing things wrong or I had to redo my resume. Sometimes I would uh, leave out my maiden name because I wasn't sure if that was the deterrence. But what I realized in my biggest eye opener was when I went to a training um, job transition uh, from transitioning from uh, military to civilian. And it was a great organization that I uh, ended up volunteering for Operation Jobs Ready Veterans. And I, too, went through that training. And that was a great eye opener when uh, one of our consultants there told us, hey, do you know, um, according to the research, do you know how many uh, people get hired through just sending resumes online? And I was like, well, how, how many? Because that's me. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right, right? It was 1% chance. Um, so that was an eye-opener to, to think that there's something, the big thing that's missing, and that's called networking. 
and I needed to get out of my house and I needed to introduce myself because nobody knew who Maya was. Nobody knew where Maya came from and what background and experience I had. So Maya had to tell her story. And thankfully, I got my first job at the city of Indianapolis. And then obviously, it's going uh, pretty well, I would say, for me since then. Yeah, lots of promotions that you shared with us earlier. What was the role? What was the first role at the city? It was a project manager. And uh, really, that was another culture shock, Andrea, because I not only didn't have a staff anymore of 50 people or 10 or 30, and not only I didn't run a group of uh, around 1,500 people anymore, but I was just all alone, uh, had to do my own job, and uh, I had to come up with ideas. And ideas didn't have to be as grand as they were in Georgia. So it was kind of like, yeah, you know, you plan an event, you do this, you do that. And I was like, that's it? That's it? <laughs> that's all I have to do? So project management um, outreach, basically, for minority women, veteran, and disability-owned businesses, and connecting with uh, NABO, with Indian Black Expo, with Indian Latino Expo, um, and at the same time uh, doing compliance on city projects. So I was lost because when I had three tasks a week, I was so happy. <laughs> so coming from the environment where every day we had so many things to do because Georgia as a post-Soviet country uh, was already lagging uh, behind and we just had to do so many things. And over here, the system was built and yes, there's always improvements to be made, but not everything is not such a, it doesn't have to be um, done so quickly and the deadlines don't have to be yesterday. So that was a big transition. That was kind of like, oh, okay, let's step back, um, take a breath and realize that, you know what? I can do this. I can enjoy a slower pace where I can, I have the time to think. I can uh, be still creative and I can do this. And most importantly, I got blessed and I was blessed and I got lucky to work with people that I worked there with who really, really helped me with, with the transition. And of course, my family. Yeah. And it's always about your mindset, isn't it? I mean, you're someone who believes everything is what you make of it. And you took this opportunity and built relationships. And a few years later, you know, you've created the role that you're in today. So at that time, because you mentioned that you sent out 140 resumes, you didn't get any interviews, you didn't get any phone calls. So I suspect you were feeling defeated at times. You know, you, you were having to start over. What kept you going? I was. I absolutely felt defeated. Um, and I felt like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this was the right decision. And of course, my poor husband had to uh, uh, hear me complain. Why did we have to move? You know, we, can't we just move somewhere else? And can we just do this? Because it's not working out. And I was really, really losing hope. But one thing that always keeps me going is uh, my kind of a motto uh, that says, if somebody else can do it, I can do it too. So I would look around and say, okay, what do I, when in Rome, first of all, do as the Romans do. So I'm in Rome now, Indiana, and uh, what do I do? So if networking is the key or kind of like a first step 
to the door, then what do I need to do? And thankfully at that time, my, my husband uh, still works for the city of Indianapolis, but I uh, met his supervisor, a great guy, former veteran. And uh, he kind of also uh, talked to me about different strategies that I could approach. And I followed some of his advice, some of um, the uh, Operation Job Ready Veterans, what I learned there, the advice, and it worked. And I never like feeling defeated. I don't know if anybody does, but I also don't like feeling like I don't do enough. I don't try enough. Uh, and let's give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I can always say I tried. Uh, and that's what kept me going, Andrea. Okay, what kept me going was that there's got to be something out there for me uh, because this is where I am now. And let's forget that part of the life, which was great, which was wonderful. I got to do great things for my country, but I am here now and what can I do now? So starting over, as you know, is never easy, but you mentioned the mindset. It's all about perspective, right? Uh, if I had gone back and said, well, I don't have a driver anymore. I don't have a car. I don't do this and I don't do that. And I can't live here uh, like this. Obviously, you would probably w wouldn't want to interview me, <laughs> but uh, perseverance and keep going was the right way. Uh, and that's the way I always choose. That's so good. Yeah. And I, what I hear in that, so, you know, your perseverance to keep going, you, you said like, if someone else can do it, so can I, and then the importance of network and building relationships, that was your turning point. Yes. You also said, um, a few minutes ago in talking about your family, you know, you were, you were pretty adamant that you can do it both family and career. And your example highlights that. So it's been six years now that you've been in the United States. Your son and daughter must be 13 and 19 now. Is that right? Yes. So how, how do you balance it? You, you continue to lead both your family and your government position. How do you do that? How do you do it well? I was at a um, very good event, I think a, a year ago, and um it was a panel of wonderful ladies, and one of them said something that was really an eye-opener to and resonated. And it, she said, you know, we keep looking for this balance between work and um, life or family and career. And she said, there's just not, it's not there. <laughs> there is no balance. So that was, that was something interesting to say, well, what is this race that I'm, I'm looking for? Because really, I have it. If it doesn't exist, then I kind of have it. Because if it doesn't exist, then I don't have to worry about it. And what I mean by that is, obviously, I gave them some time to get um, adjusted to the local environment. But it's kind of like on uh, cruise control now. We all do. We all know what we need to do. And we do it the right way. My son is at IU. Um, he is in this, um, the second year of his um uh, IU Venture. Basically, he is uh, on his way to study the international relations um, and to do his under undergrad degree. My daughter is in the middle school and we're getting ready for the high school um, here in, in, in one semester. And it wasn't easy, but it wasn't also impossible. It is possible as long as you still spend the time that you need with your family and you kind of uh, come up with a plan and say, here's the plan. 
my my children will go to college or whatever whatever your plan is and just follow and adjust them and put them back on that route if they kind of get off track and same with me um, there are many times when I miss home and I just want to go home and uh, mentally there was uh, in 2015 I remember I was packing in my in, uh, mentally every day to go back and to say well I, I don't think I can do this anymore this is just not easy and I would pack and then the morning would come I would unpack <laughs> so in the evening I would pack again but what keeps you going is to know this is for the better this is for this is what my children need now and change is inevitable so if I don't go through this now they're going to give it to me in a harder way and I just don't want to do it uh, anymore if it, if it gets any harder so of course as an immigrant uh, especially as a well established person, a woman, a leader woman, the career that I had over there, um, to come here and start over as a project manager, it was not easy. But once you see that it's not just you, but now it's your family, and they, they need this uh, change, they need this environment, that also keeps me going. Yeah, what do they say about the move today? It's really controversial, and <laughs> it depends on the. Uh, it depends. Um, I think my son, because he spent more time there. He was thirteen. He's the one who's more missing home more. My daughter misses home, but she was six, so she doesn't really remember a lot. But Georgia is always home. So is Indiana now, but Georgia is always home number one. It was justified. I think there was, especially from my son, there was um, 2014, 2015, the times when he was articulating and uh, uh, verbalizing my thoughts. Why are we here? Let's go back. And of course, I was thinking the same things, but I wasn't doing because, again, I knew this was the right place to do. This is where my family was. This is where my husband was and where he worked and where I worked. So it was very difficult to hear out loud your own thoughts that now are coming from your child um, and to to say that, hmm, okay, I think he's got a point, but let's keep going. I don't know where it's going to lead us, but all the signs say this is where we're supposed to be today. Yeah, but that's tough because at the moment you want your kids to be happy, right? I, I always remember like my responsibility is not to create a happy child, it's to build character and a good citizen. There's a bigger, there's a bigger perspective there. That's what you had. Yes, your gut um, or tells you that this is the right thing to do. And I just kind of stuck with my gut feeling and it worked out. It's always a gamble, right? Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, but I'm always the risk taker. So I will take that risk, especially to know Indiana and Indianapolis is a wonderful place to live and raise a family and uh, be here. So it's like, it's not like it's that bad. It's not home home, but it's not that bad. The biggest transition was kind of married to your own car because over there, there's public transportation. If you don't own a car, it's not a problem. So now the kids depend on you and they don't have this freedom to just take a bus and go somewhere. So that was also the transition where they have to wait for you to take them to the movies or to the store or wherever they need to go. Yeah, so a lot of cultural change, a lot of a lot of new new experiences for you all. Yes. Yeah, you know, we on uh, on being at work, we highlight leaders and their stories. And over the last few episodes, Maya, we've 
we've talked quite a bit about taking risks and stepping out of your comfort zone and going into new environments. We've also a couple on a couple occasion talked about integrating work and life, family and career. And so you are combining all of those things, <laughs> integrating career and family in a new environment. <laughs> so I admire your perseverance. I hear an another thing we've not talked about that I'd love to get your perspective on is you've alluded to the humility with which you started over. You know, you were in a very senior government position in your home country. And so now you're working for the city of Indianapolis as a project manager. Um, but I, but I heard you say you leaned into that and you learned a lot through that role, but that, that took a lot of humility and a lot of courage to start over. Absolutely. Um, that took me uh, in a room where I would close the door and just be in an awe to say, oh my gosh, what do I do? Where am I? And what is, what is the plan? Is this what I want to do? But, you know, there's that ego that tells you, hey, you were this person and do you really want this? You know, you could always go back and start over. Granted, my, the party, the political party I was a part of, uh, lost the elections in 2012. So that when I said I ran out of excuses, that was one of them, but I could have chosen to stay and st still be active in politics until we came back in power. And obviously, as you know, parties come and go. So, uh, and that little, little ego of mine would always say, well, what if, you know, you could still go back and what if you could still do this? But I, I knew my husband wanted to live here. He had his family here. He had, he had his parents, his sister. So it was his turn now because we, we lived back home uh, when he moved there. But humility is something that doesn't come in a day, Andrea, as you know, uh, it, it is a process. And, uh, it, sometimes it requires suppressing that ego uh, and really looking at a bigger picture and really saying, okay, this is a stepping stone. This is not, you know your potential, you know who you are, you are always who you are, but this is where you start from. And um, I had start, started life over uh, many times, but now this is in a new env environment, new continent, a <laughs> new country. And uh, hey, um, sometimes I would look at it look at it as a challenge. I would try to be an observer to say, "Hmm, how is my life going?" You know, remember when you went to uh, you know NATO headquarters and did this and did that, and then I would just say, "Okay, ego, you can now. We're we're here now." But what really helped me going after I got out of my um, feeling sorry for myself, really, that's that's what it was. I just said enough, you know, this is where I am and I'm going to open up to my, the new opportunities and this is my reality now and how can I make the best of it? And isn't it interesting then that you said very quickly you were promoted. I mean, that, that is the lesson when we can be aware of the ego, choose bigger picture, like naturally then that's going to put us in a position to have more influence. Absolutely. And you know what? The accuracy uh, of that theory is 100% out of 100. I have proved that so many times in my personal and professional life. As soon as I change, as soon as my perspective changes about the events around me, then the new things open up. 
But until I'm shut down, I'm feeling sorry for myself and I let ego <laughs> take over everything, every thought, every move and every action, everything is closed. Yeah. As an executive coach, I work with leaders every day, helping them through their challenges. And what I see every day is leaders putting so much energy into why won't this change? Why won't he be better? Why won't she do this? And it's because you and your attitude are keeping it in that place. Shift your perspective around the person, the situation, the challenge, and the situation changes. Absolutely. And Andrea, I want to tell your listeners that our listeners that that's not just mere words. I mean, this is the truth. And there was a long time when I didn't understand the meaning when somebody when I would hear read or listen, and I would be like, mm, I don't know how that works. But it is so true, that as soon as you open up to the world, how much the world has to offer you. But it's not in a day. And of course, you will shut down again. But as long as that you keep going and you keep opening up to the new opportunities, it will happen. And to me, for me, uh, it happens in, a, in just a matter of weeks, not months or years, weeks, <laughs> as soon as I tuck my ego away, because six years is not a long time in the United States for an immigrant. For somebody to come from another country and no matter what background or an experience, there are many wonderful people here who are local and could be having this job right now where the one that I hold. However, it's really about changing your inner world and your inner perspective about who you are and what you can do. Changing your inner world. You are such a good example of that through all of the challenges and transitions and exciting moments and challenging moments. Like that's what you've done, Maya. So thank you for that example. No problem. My pleasure. If our audience wants to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I have my LinkedIn page. I'm assuming there are not many Ciprashwilis. So <laughs> Maya Ciprashwili Lee. Uh, we also have our IDOA or Indiana Department of Administration Division of Supply Diversity Facebook page. We have Twitter. Follow us, please, and you will know where we are and what we're doing. Uh, since I'm a government employee, my uh, work information is also public, uh, and you can find us at the IDOA Division of Supplier Diversity webpage. We have a little org, ch org chart, organizational chart there, and you have my information, which actually rings to my phone right here. So I will be the answering, not the front desk. Excellent. Thank you, Maya. I appreciate you being on Being at Work. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.